My name is Nick Flower, and I'm a clinical psychologist who specializes in behavior therapy. And I'm Lauren McLean, and I am a therapist who specializes in behavioral therapy as well. Welcome to Psychologically Incorrect. This is a podcast about real life through the lens of behavioral psychology and applying the lessons of clinical psychology into everyday issues. Let's talk about today how we have discussions in the modern era on the internet. In particular, how we carry on with disagreements. The hope is that we can learn maybe a more adaptive way of communicating online and hopefully reduce some of the negativity that we see endlessly on social media and in other places in the internet. Another consideration is to learn how to better personally evaluate the information we're reading online and uh, hear and hear the content that we are consuming and take it uh, without bias, which is what we're going to get into later today. So, Lauren, uh, with that said, has there been anything in the news lately that has uh, riled up the internet and riled up discussion about hard topics lately that you can tell? <laughs> well, we're recording this the Monday after Roe was overturned. So, but even even if that had not just happened. Uh, right. Internet debate is just a known entity, and yes. uh, we've all seen it, we've all experienced it, we've all rolled our eyes at it, you know, and right. um, it's just, it is a thing in the world that we live in. So, uh, yeah, let's talk about it today. Let's talk about Twitter wars and Facebook fights and, you know, the mm -hmm. people that comment on news stories, and, you know, I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but it's a thing. There's a lot of internet debate, and... You know, we talked about in the past about how polarized we are, especially on the Internet. And uh, so I'd say Internet fighting is a big piece of that. So the first part we wanted to talk about is just kind of like an inherent limitation of Internet debate. Um, you know, I think the first thing I'd say is you can't make every point when you're typing within a character limit. You know, you're just going to get right. a snapshot analysis, a snapshot little piece um, that there's no way it could possibly ever be comprehensive enough. And so for that reason, there's always good as somebody says, but hey, wait, you forgot about the dolphins. You know, really like straws are going to be the end of the, the environment. Right. And so, you know, we can laugh about that one, but somebody will always find a flaw in every argument because of the inherent limitation of talking in a character limit on the internet in written, um, in written uh, verbiage. So, form, sure. Uh, what, what do you think? What would you say is a kind of a limitation of internet debate? Well, before we get into that, I just do want to say that, you know, this is an opportunity for us to trash something that we both find loathsome in many ways, but there are good things about this, uh, the internet and, and the ability to discuss and have this free discussion online. Uh, it could lead to a, a good, healthy debate. It just hasn't and, and rarely does. And I think that's where we find our trouble with it. You know, Let me challenge in, you in on fact, that. You said it rarely does and it hasn't. Well, not that it hasn't, I guess. We'll say sometimes. Uh, but a lot sometimes. of times there are right. flaws. Right. I think that you just corrected a cognitive distortion. I think I did. I, th I think <laughs> no, it's, it's exactly what you did. Um, but... Uh, so I, I do want to say that it, it, it offers this this community forum to have this discussion. I just think that people so often take it to this dark place 
um, that's filled with biases and, you know, catastrophic uh, cognitive errors and, and, and few people see that. And that's when it usually devolves into, you know, a pointless exercise. I mean, so yeah, the, but it is limited. Uh, there's what is, what is Twitter's character limit? I don't even know. Um, yeah, me either. <laughs> I think it's I, actually, I think it's 140. I think I remember that 140 character limit, at least, but you could have an extended one or whatever. Um, I, I think that, you know, that if we could just talk about the nuances of how we have a discussion, you know, nonverbal communication is totally missed. You know, um, you don't get to see what the person's face is when they're making the comment or, you know, how passionate or less passionate they are about the, about the thing. Um, you know, uh, that's just a, a huge piece of what we do in therapy is, uh, you know, what a person is saying is, uh, you know, out of context with, uh, their nonverbals, it's, you, you don't get that rich, that rich dialogue. You know, I think that's one of the limitations. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I think another uh, just kind of natural occurrence is if I'm scrolling on the internet and I see kind of like a little bite of something um, and I'm kind of in a mindless state, I might read that, ingest that and be like, well, that's wrong or well, that's flawed. And I get kind right. of an immediate emotional or, you know, cognitive at yeah. least reaction right. to that because you know, I'm not in a very grounded, thoughtful place. If we were sitting around a table having a debate, my head is in a much different place than if I'm scrolling Twitter um, on the couch or, you know, whatever. Um, you know, it's a, it's a totally different headset. And so it, it leans to be more reactive in general because of that. And because we are more reactive, we are also much more dismissive. Um, and then the other thing that I would say is, Okay, so I see something, I disagree with it. If I'm in a really mindless state, uh, you know, maybe I fire something back. Maybe I don't, maybe sometimes right. I keep it moving, but let's say I fire something back. Now I have, I fired something back, that person gets it and they're like, well, who's this girl disagreeing with mm -hmm. me? What right. does she know? Right. Why is she attacking me? They're gonna become immediately yeah. defensive because they feel attacked. And then what happens is, you know, there's our war, right? Like. They put something out, I react, they feel attacked, they attack me back, and then we go back and forth trying to, you know, dismantle the other. Um, and that's just kind of the natural phenomenon, I would argue, of like how it works. I agree. And I wrote some notes down as you're talking, because I think what happens is, and I don't think this gets talked about enough, there's a primal response, I think, that occurs when you feel attacked. Yep. You know, cortisol, like is pumping, you know, and, and I, for whatever reason, when our as a human animal, we still have those, uh, you know, hindbrain activities, you know, uh, just like crocodiles do or whatever. And I think that there's uh, better, better things have been said and written about this than what I'm about to say. But I just think that that's a piece of this, is there's a primal feeling of being attacked online and you feel that your integrity or your, or your philosophy or your view of life or your way of life is being attacked. And so I think that's why people fire stuff off and you have this this sort of battle uh, that goes on um, because of that primal response of your feeling attacked. And I don't think enough people sort of appreciate that aspect when you're just 
because like you said, you're randomly scrolling Facebook or whatever, and then somebody says something about abortion, and you're like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, your, your fight or flight, your primal reaction sort of gets activated. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, the prompting event for anger is when an important goal is being blocked. And if I identify strongly with my ideas, my values, my morality, my opinions, my beliefs, and if somebody attacks them, then it makes sense that I'm angry. Right, right. Uh, I also thought about the comparison to road rage. When you're in a car and somebody cuts you off, it's a nameless, faceless mm-hmm. thing. It's just a, it's a red Civic or whatever it is. And, and, you know, and you'll flip the person off. You'll, you know, at least I do. I'm just kidding. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I want to, so, um, you'll have these awful thoughts in your head about this person, but like, you know, and then you jump to all these conclusions about what kind of person they are, who, who does that, you know, who says, and I think, uh, it, you, you'll act in a way that you wouldn't act if someone say, let's cut you off on the street by accident while they, you know, were walking in front of you, you wouldn't say, Hey jerk, you know, uh, and I think the same thing with, I think there's a similar, uh, I think there's a comparison to be made between, you know, something like a nameless, faceless road rage incident and something online as well. Even though, yeah, you might see their face on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, but I think there's the same, I think there's something similar going on there. I also think there's a cumulative effect. So if you have this like known entity of like, you know, this like distant in-law or something and is always posting things on the internet that you disagree Mm -hmm. with when they Mm -hmm. pop up, you're going to be like, well, there's aunt Mary Jo again, running her mouth about this, that, and the third. And then, you know, that cumulative effect, you're, you're quick to that anger because you also have that, that previous memory, that association of it. Right. Um, Right. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Another thought that maybe we could, you know, add in here, I told my husband we were going to do this topic and he said, you know, what's interesting to me is that people use the internet as kind of like their journal, like they're, you know, sharing Mm. thoughts, sharing perspective where, Mm. you know, prior to all of this kind of social media or whatever, he's like, maybe they wrote in an actual journal or maybe they talked to people about, you know, Mm. what they think or feel or believe or whatever. And it's pretty Mm. normalized to just like throw our beliefs up there. Um, mm. in a very reactionary way, especially when things happen, um, which I thought was a really good point and kind of leads, uh, you know, what we have just previously discussed. So. Oh, I agree. That's a, that's a great insight. I, I think that's true. It, it is, you know, much like people will say, oh, don't normalize what's happening here, whether it's like something, you know, President Trump did or something <laughs> or January 6th, we don't, can't normalize those events, which is true. Um, I, I think, in the same line, yeah, normalizing, putting everything out there online and every thought that you have. So I think probably a lot of people have, I know a lot of people have sort of a self-control concern there when they're, it's like they're on the internet, they'll just fire something off and it, that's out there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you didn't have to say that. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't go online, you might not even prompt it to say it. So it is super weird, I, I think. It's a good insight about the, the modern world with social media that we just kind of put our thoughts out there. Um, so um, are we are we straying too far away from the limitations? I think that we said uh, it, it is pretty limited. I just think the fact that we're, the very fact that we're having this podcast, Lauren, and having a more of a long, longer form discussion about a topic, because you, you see there's so many podcasts now and they're in long format. Look at Joe Rogan and all the people like sure. Uh, I, I think because there's a need for that or a desire for that, like, let's sit down and unpack an issue 
and really talk about it rather than, you know, firing off, you know, a 140 character sentence. I mean, <laughs> excuse me. Think about how many words that we've communicated in this exactly. what, 10 minutes we've been on here. We, I, I would never say this much through a, through a Facebook post or something like that. Great point. Um, I don't know. I, no, I just that's a, that's, no, that's a really uh, great point. Um, yeah. Um, okay. Before we move on to the next thing, I will just say one thing that I've noticed, and I'm sure you've noticed this as well. We talked about the people that, you know, perhaps we could say overshare or share a lot of, you know, perspectives. Um, I, something that I've noticed in treating, you know, social anxiety or maybe even some OCD is the opposite where a complete reluctance and avoidance of posting on social media because they don't want to, mm. they don't want to say the wrong thing or they don't want to be judged right. or so often, um, is the case. So I think that that is an important part too. And it's funny as part of treatment, I'm like, why don't you throw some things up on the internet yeah. and see what sticks, you right. know? Uh, so it, you know, it does kind of span both ways. Well, great point. So that also speaks to one of the limitations of it is these things catch fire and there's a culture that can be created. And, and I know that Jonathan Haidt has talked about this. You and I have talked about it. Um, um, his work uh, with, you know, uh, cancel culture and everything else. And so I have a lot of people, like you said, who have OCD and they are super worried about putting something out there on the internet that, that might get them canceled or it might get them in trouble. So that has the other effect of it too. Yeah, there are people that are just opening up the floodgates and putting it all out there. Uh, but there are also the other side of that that says, I'm not going to say a thing because I'm scared. Mm -hmm. And that's not good either because these people have good things to say. They're exactly. just choosing not to, to engage in the current way that we're engaging these ideas. So that's a good point. Yeah. I guess maybe the last point on that is just, you know, we've seen full subtypes of people with a, of OCD where they're, you know, terrified of cancel culture and it's kind of manifested in a really destructive and maladaptive way, you know? So, um, right. certainly, and that is triggered by internet fighting and, um, kind of the culture wars around that. So, right. All right. So let's, so, let's jump into the next part. So the, the next piece we wanted to talk about is, and we've, we've said this before in other podcasts, but it's relevant today as well is the idea of cognitive distortions and how the way that we think about these events the way that we think about what somebody else has posted, um, the way that we interpret that determines how we think about it. And uh, well, that's redundant, but how, how, how we interpret it determines how we feel and it determines how we behave. And there are, there are I don't know the exact number of identified cognitive distortions, Lauren, you could uh, tell me if you know, but there's about eight or 12, uh, depending on who's writing the article and where you see it. But one of the things that we see a lot, we'll go through a couple. So the first one is all or nothing or black or white thinking. So the idea that there's no middle ground, um, this has to be one of the most prevalent ones that you see, you know, that this is a, uh, you know, that this person is terrible. They are absolutely wrong or, you know, the, the words that you hear um, to describe an idea or a concept. Uh, there's a lot of black or white thinking that takes place on both sides. And that makes it very difficult to have a discussion um, if you're engaging in this distorted way of thinking. Yeah, that's a great point. I think, you know, we, you know, this row thing is really timely. And um, if you're not for what I believe, then yeah. you're against me, you know? And I think we could take pro-choice or pro-life for just a second and say, mm -hmm. um, if you're pro-life, then you want to kill, then 
then you don't value women's rights or reproductive rights right. or reproductive freedom right. or women in the workplace. And if you are pro-choice, then you want to kill babies. And right. <laughs> um, maybe there's something in the middle. You know, maybe it that's... Just... Right? Go ahead. No. I'm sorry to interrupt. It just okay. made me laugh. It's like, what an absurd thing to say you want to kill babies. I mean, you know, um, it could be something else. It could be more nuanced than that, you know, Um uh, but the other person, you know, might be saying, well, it doesn't matter if there's nuance. A life is a life is a life is a life. And that's just how it is. And, um, you know, if that's your position, I suppose you could have that. But you're not going to get to have an understanding of the other person's piece of it if you're holding to that. Yeah, I'd say an example of all or nothing thinking that we see a lot in OCD Moral OCD is like I've seen, I've treated plenty of people that are like terrified to step mm. in ants on ants because they don't want to kill an ant because if they kill an ant, then they're disrespecting life, you know, and right. it becomes like very right. maladaptive because they like can't go on walks and, you know, it like it right. really tortures them that they need to make sure that they're never stepping on an ant mm. or, you know, so obviously mm. like a very magnified view, but, you know, that kind of just speaks to what I just said is that, you know, if mm. we're, when we're so extreme in how we're thinking it's like those Chinese finger traps, like you pull and you're stuck. There's no place to go. Right. And I think that mm -hmm, right. the internet can really feel like that, especially after, um, big events, school shootings, right. you know, big legal cases, things like that. It can feel very black and white that if you're not on my side, then you're, you know, probably going towards the end of the world. Right. And, and I, I remember back in, um, God, the uh, President Bush uh, W uh, would say would say this famously. He said, "If you're not with us, you're against us." Mm. Um, and uh, what what an example of a black and white thinking coming from president. You know what I mean? Um, which is very impactful. You know, and I and I, um, yeah, I never like that statement. I don't like it in my personal. I try not to say things like that, but you can get get caught up in that pretty easily. Let's take a look at the next one. Should or must thinking, treating your own standards as the standard. Um, this is one that I do more often than anything, um, you know, and I, it gets me into some trouble, which I try to correct, but, uh, you know, that you should think this. Um, you know, like example, if we go Roe versus Wade, you know, the Bible says it's this way, and that's how I believe it should be, and that's how I believe everybody should think you know, uh, according to what, you know, my religion says. Um, and so that's an example of should or must thinking. Do you want to give one? Um, well, you know, I, I don't necessarily have a, an example of that for me because, you know, I'm perfect. I don't have any distortion. <laughs> but um, <laughs> quick tangent, Bill Burr has something that my husband likes to remind me. That he was, he said something along the lines of, I am a work in progress and my wife is a perfect masterpiece. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Bill Burr says that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's, nah, that's good. But anyways, that's yeah, good. no, I kid. I obviously have plenty of it. I just don't know what it is because we all have blind spots. Also joking. No. But anyways, no, um, no you, what I think, what I would say about this one is if we are in a thoughtful debate sitting around a table, um, I am going to be way more mindful and intentional about thinking about what I want to say and hearing what you are say, saying and responding thoughtfully to what you are saying. And I think that the mindlessness of internet dialogue is that 
um, it can, it leads to a lot of should thinking because I'm not very intentional. I'm not very thoughtful and I'm firing off missiles. Maybe I'm not firing off missiles, but I'm thinking in my head, well, that's wrong mm-hmm. because it's mm-hmm. this way, you know? So, um, I think that that's just kind of the nature of how you ingest content and, and the reactionary leads to that shooting or thinking that your way is the only way. Right. Right. I've done the thing before where I'll, I'll get caught up in some comment section on Facebook and then I'll read it something I disagree with and I'll click on the person's profile. Oh, you know, <laughs> like, what does this person look like? What, what, what are their family? What, I want the deets. <laughs> I want the details on this awful person and, and I'm doing it there in that moment. And I have to be like, what are you, what are you doing? You're, you're letting this person from Oklahoma or wherever like, sure. and waste your time. Um, anyway. Um, so, should or must thinking, black or white thinking. Um, uh, what else do we want to say here about cognitive distortions? Because I know we want to talk about biases too. This is another. Yeah, point. let's talk about jumping to conclusions. Like, let's say somebody okay. throws something up that feels like akin to one side of an argument. You know, I feel like the natural jumping to conclusion is like, oh, well, like they're a Trumper or they're, right, right. Um, therefore, you know, lame Joe or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you just immediately say, okay, this little snapshot means I've got you completely figured out. And this is yeah, entirely right. who you are and who you believe. And then therefore I can't agree with you. And so I don't like you. And so unfollow. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I've, I'm actually, and I know this, we're talking about online dialogue, but I've thought about too, when I'm sick, I have a cold or something, you know, I'll put on a mask. And I'll wear it in a store and I'll think, oh my gosh, if this is a store, you know what I mean? People might think, oh, who's this guy? Here we go. (laughs) You know, he's outside wearing a mask or something. He must be this or that. And so I have to, you know, wonder if people are going to jump to conclusions with me, you know, meanwhile, I have a cold. I'm just trying to, you know, not spread it around. Um, but anyway, I know we're talking about No, that's a great stuff. example, right? Because just as much as we are thinking this towards others, we also are thinking, what do others think of us? Um, right. You know, that, I think that's a natural one. Um, one thing we wrote down to talk about is blaming. I think that um, mm-hmm. I never really think about that as a cognitive distortion, but uh, certainly it fits here. Um, focusing yeah. too much on who is to blame rather on what to do about it or trying right. to fa- find someone to pin fault on. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sure we can come up with lots of example of. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, if you're, um, if you're upset about Roe versus Wade being overturned, for example, you know, you might spend too much time focusing on how Obama had a supermajority uh, in 2008 and um, didn't codify it into law, you know, and you could be right to be very angry about that or angry with Ruth Bader Ginsburg for not retiring um, during a Democratic administration. You could really sit and focus on that um, to the exclusion of what could be done about it or what you're going to do now. Um, that's an, Those are some examples I can think of. Yeah, just to kind of comment on what you just said, you said you could be right about that. And, you know, that's that's, you know, an interesting point, but I guess what I would think is, well, what, what do you gain by being right? You know, the righteous mm-hmm. anger tends to feed anger, right? Anger is anger is anger. Right. So even if it's righteous anger, you're still stuck. And I think that also just speaks to, right. you know, time on the internet can rile up anger. And right. that is, you know, somewhat of a known phenomenon. And for that reason, 
there is room to kind of consider, you know, how and when you spend time on the internet, just based on what it does to you. Agree. Agree. Okay, cool. Um, sh shall we jump to um, biases? Yeah, I think this is an important piece. Why don't you go ahead? You can, uh, you can, you can lead the charge into this. I think this is an important topic that we that people miss a lot, and I certainly miss. Yeah. So uh, first of all, N Nick found some uh, good nerdy psychological content on the internet about mm -hmm. all of the different types of biases. And as I was reading that, I'm thinking, wow, this is really good. So we're going to read a couple for you now. Um, the first I'm going to read is called confirmation bias. This type of bias refers to the tendency to seek out information that supports something you already believe and is a particularly pernicious subset of cognitive bias. You remember it hit, you remember the hits and you forget the misses which is a flaw in human reasoning. People will cue into things that matter to them and dismiss, thing, dismiss things that don't, often leading to the ostrich effect, where a subject buries their head in the sand to avoid information that may disprove their original point. And so, um, you know, in reading this confirmation bias, it leads to all, it, it references back everything that we just said when we were talking about distortions, right? I am looking for ways to be right. And I'm looking yeah. for people and content that make me feel right and make me feel validated. Yeah. And that's like a that's like a drug you can't get enough of, right? The more you crave yeah. validation and seek out validation, you're feeding you're 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 getting kind of a hit, right? Like it really does give yeah. us a hit of something yeah. that feels good, and it also kind of feeds anger and disdain towards people or the other side that, you know, you disagree with. So um, this is a kind of a natural phenomenon that's going to happen on the internet in these kind of like small sound bites of public discourse. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it goes back to one of the main um, limitations of having this dialogue on social media, because you're, you're, you're preaching to the choir. You're in your own social circles. Um, and Facebook, you know, you have a public profile on Facebook and you can also have public or private groups. And if you're in a private group, you're only hearing, um, you know, the side that you agree with, you know, and, and you don't get a chance to listen to the other side or to see the other piece. And we see this with media. If you like Fox News or MSNBC and you're just watching those exclusively, you're, 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 you're going to get stuck um, uh, listening to the preacher and you're singing in the choir. Yeah, I just, you know, something to add about that. I mean, if you look at how people get radicalized, it's because they're consuming repeated content that says the same thing and they're in groups that, you right. know, reinforce that, right? So we saw that with QAnon is that people kind of fell in and when they came out on the other side, it, it had a pretty profound impact on how they viewed the world. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. So the next one that we have uh, highlighted to discuss is, and I'm looking, I'm going to look online on a separate screen for the uh, source for this so we can give the source credit. Yeah, please um, don't. And if we, if, if we don't, we'll put it in the, uh, um, the description of the podcast. But um, the availability bias, also known as the availability heuristic, this refers to the tendency to use information we can quickly recall when evaluating a topic or idea, even if the information is not the best representation of the topic or idea. Using this shortcut, we deem the information we can most easily recall as valid and ignore the alternative solutions or opinions. So we basically, this basically says to me that we're just lazy and we just use whatever is available to us. And, and we just sort of go with that. 
but that's a bias that we have to be aware of when we're having discussions. You know, just because it's right there, you know, the information is right there and quickly, quickly um, able to recall it doesn't mean that it's the best representation of that topic or idea. So I think that we miss this when we uh, engage uh, in conversations and, and not, 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 we're not aware of this bias. Yeah, and when we were talking about this previously, uh, this also kind of speaks to the algorithm shows us what it thinks we want to see, right? So right. if the yeah. information is available to you based on your algorithm, then there's an that's an inherent limitation. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's talk about fundamental attribution error. This, uh, <laughs> this really feels like a little bit of a psychology class here, but... Like, Let's go for it. Okay. The bias refers to the tendency to attribute someone's particular behavior to existing unfounded stereotypes while attributing our own similar behavior to external factors. For example, when someone on your team is late to an important meeting, you may assume that they are lazy or lacking motivation without considering internal and external factors like illness or traffic accident that led to tardiness. However, when you are running late because of a flat tire, you expect others to attribute the error to an external factor, flat tire, rather than your personal behavior that, you know, you don't care or something. I think that this is such a, um, it's just such a powerful blind spot, right? Um, I, I, I always tell people, you know, I, I see what you look like and I hear what you say and I don't mm-hmm. know the inner workings of your mind or what's going on with you or the background information of your life. And I'm just reacting to what I see and hear and others are going to do the same to us. And, um, if we are not, you know, clear with people, then, uh, it's really easy to be misperceived and that's just human error, just kind of based on communication limitations. Um, but yeah, I think this is a really powerful one to consider and it really does speak to the importance of, Good communication, but also non-judgment, understanding, and asking questions. So we are not misperceiving people based on our, you know, snap judgments. Right. And I think, you know, if we're going to attribute another person's lateness or whatever to, you know, factors, negative factors about that person, but if we were late, we would, you know, attribute it to something legitimate, we would say. Um, How this looks online, uh, or not even online, but just in a debate, you know, you might think all those... Um, you know, that person, like, let's see on the other side of the, that Republican Senator is only trying to get votes. They they don't even believe in that position. They're just doing that to, uh, to get reelected. Uh, but my candidate really believes, you know, in what they're saying and is, is, is doing this for principled reasons. Um, does that make sense? Uh, you know, you're attributing the other the other side of the political debate as, you know, having unscrupulous reasons for, you know, having having their position. But they actually really might think that, you know, and I th- this is an example of how you might see that. Yeah, I think I think it's a really good example. Um, so are there any other biases you want to touch on or? I mean, th- th- I'm just going to kind of go through the list that we found really quickly. There's the Dunning-Kruger effect. This is, you know, how people perceive our concept to be simplistic just because their knowledge about it isn't that great or it's lacking. Um, and there's in-group bias. We kind of talked about that a little bit. Um, self-serving bias. There's so many 
Um, hindsight bias is one we hear about a lot. That's one that I think people know what that means. I knew it all along, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Um, an optimism bias, uh, people are more likely to estimate a positive outcome if we're in a good mood, for example. Think about that. That's so funny. Uh, if you wake up on the right side of the bed, then you're going to uh, have a different uh, take on the situation um, versus if you have the pessimism bias and you're in a bad mood. Um, the halo effect, we, 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 we impart good thoughts and good nature upon people that are... Um, that are good looking or, you know, other, other positive attributes. So th those are, those are some things I think that we should keep in mind when we're uh, having this di these dialogues online so they don't get as ugly as they have been or uh, normally are. Yeah. Great points. I mean, it all just really speaks to kind of the, the psychology of, you know, human fallibility, I would say, right. Like just knowing that nobody has evolved past, you know, fallibility and that there's a, you know, we don't always get it right. And that is part of being human and you cannot get it right. And you're going to have your own blind spots and you're going to have your own limitations. And like that Bill Burr quote, right? Like <laughs> my wife is a perfect masterpiece and I'm a work in progress, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. nobody is a mm -hmm. perfect masterpiece. That's the point, right? And if we can't right. see our own limitations and we can't give people the benefit of their, you know, limitations or even, you know, maybe another way to think about it is um, maybe they'll change their mind. Maybe they see it this way today and, you know, maybe yeah. that they'll think about it differently and change their mind tomorrow. And that's okay. And we don't have to pin people down to say, well, you said this once. And so that means that forever. <clears throat> um, so, yeah. Right. So let's kind of jump into how, how, what can we do to reduce cognitive bias? W where would you start on that, Nick? Well, um, to, to challenge your beliefs, uh, you know, to, to know that the way that you're, uh, um, that, well, to challenge your beliefs, to know that we are inherently um, uh, susceptible to a number of cognitive biases, some of which we've, we've gone into detail today, and cognitive distortions, and uh, to, 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 to be aware of those things so we can actually listen to the other person across the internet waves or they, wherever they exist or in person um, so that you could, uh, you know, potentially change your mind or at least have empathy and understanding for the other person and the argument they're making. So to be able to, uh, to have an open mind to, to challenge your beliefs. Um, yeah. I think one thing I would add to it is when you're on the internet and you're finding yourself reading ideas or content or, you know, whatever, or listening to content for that matter, um, to try to be more mindful and intentional about, okay, do I want to be listening to this? Do I value, you know, the speaker or the content that they're saying? Do I think that it's, you know, uh, well thought out? Do I think it's short-sighted? And trying to not be judgmental of that, but just being really intentional about, okay, these are the ideas that I'm hearing. Do I agree? And if I agree that, okay. And if I disagree, okay, too. And that doesn't mean they're wrong, terrible, bad person, stupid, so on. Um, and just kind of more mindful ingesting of of uh, news and content. And, you know, I think there's also value in showing restraint um, from typing off those missiles, uh, because I think that if you're more mindful, you're going to probably not send off these missiles just because you disagree. Um, 
Do you want to say something about the fallibility agreement? Yeah, let's talk about let's talk about the fallibility agreement. So the fallibility agreement is this kind of DBT concept, and this is something that uh, that's a type of therapy that I do. And in DBT, we have what are called agreements, you know, things that we agree to kind of keep as a perspective. And one that she has is called the fallibility agreement, where she says, "We agree ahead of time that we are each fallible and make mistakes." We agree that we have probably done whatever problematic thing that we've been accused of or some part of it so that we can let go of assuming a defensive stance to prove our virtue or competence. Because we are fallible, it's agreed on that we will eventually violate our agreements. And when it's done, we have to rely Hmm. on each other to point out the polarity and move back to synthesis. I really like the ending where it says we need to actually rely Mm -hmm. on people. Rely on each other. To show where our blind spots are. And I don't have to, you know, I don't have to die on every hill and I don't have to prove my virtue or prove my competence that I can say I'm going to do my best and I may get it wrong. And, you know, that's okay. Um, So, yeah, I really like the fallibility agreement. I think it's kind of a nice guiding light. And I think it's a good way to end our talk today about being re- relying on each other, you know, to to not to point out biases you know, and, and make that the next point of argument, but to rely on each other to communicate and cooperate in a way that is uh, is adaptive as a species. Because um, I think, again, I think the limitation of doing this online is that it's not good for that. It's not good for, you know, those highest aspirations of, of human interaction and dialogue. Um, it's It's... Uh, so we have to kind of be aware what, if we do choose to engage online of these of these limitations. Yeah, Twitter wars are not adaptive for the species. Um, no. <laughs> uh, the last thing I'll say, I I remember in college in a, one of my political science classes, one of our professors made us write position papers on topics we didn't agree with, and at you know mm. to a twenty year old, that's like, how could you possibly ask me to write that? I I don't agree with it, right. therefore I can't write it. And I, I found it to be one of the most valuable assignments because the whole point is don't get too stuck in your opinions or beliefs because it's short-sighted. Mm-hmm. And if you really want mm-hmm. to debate and understand, you need to be able to understand both sides. So I think that there's value in considering that as we move I forward. Love that. I've also thought that would be, I've, I've had that same thought, but with uh, modern day politicians in Congress and the Senate to have them do uh, an opposite, uh, it's opposite Wednesday <laughs> and switch sides and argue the other position just to see. I mean, honestly, if I, if I was there, I would do goofy things like that just to get us to think differently and, and hopefully have a better dialogue because it's pretty toxic. I love that. All right. We'll have to save what we'll do for politics later, but I, I think that's a great idea right. to start with. All right. Sounds good, Nick. We'll stay off the internet. No fighting with people. Be nice. <laughs> I'll try to do the same. All right. I'll see you later. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Credit to our theme music to my brother, Andrew McLean. Please subscribe, leave a review, and tell us what you think. All opinions are our own.